Abba Yahweh again, another day for me to be able to come in and, and act as a conduit for your truth, your knowledge, and your wisdom, Father God, to share with anyone who would hear and listen and believe, Father God. And brothers and sisters, and for those that are searching for answers, Father God, that you bless the sharing of your word. Abba Yahweh Aman, Yeshua Aman, Barakletos Aman. So it's a very interesting reading today, and I think that it's very applicable, especially when I, well, actually, I've, I have always observed this, but more and more lately, I stopped asking questions because, quite honestly, uh, the way I was asking, and, and I'll be straightforward, God, God gets tired of rhetorical questions. Um, and let me clarify. So if you keep asking God the same question over and over again, and you really are not looking for an answer, that's rhetorical. You're not really looking for an answer. You already have an answer. You have a suspect answer. That's a rhetorical question. You're not looking for his answer. So stop it. And <laughs> I had to learn to do that because I would be at my job, and I mean, I would see some really, really egregious activity by automobile drivers and motorcyclists and pedestrians, and they're just doing some of the most foolish, I mean, absolutely foolish, foolish things that you can imagine. And I'm like, God, why are they doing this? What are they? And I would, I would phrase it that way. And then uh, one day he answered me, but not the way I expected. And the, uh, the Holy Spirit came and gave me a response to the question, and let me know that it was emptiness and vanity looking for an answer from God for something that there was really no answer to and that I already realized, but just try to put that out there. It was rhetorical. I wasn't really looking for an answer from God. I was trying to... Mm, justify my attitude toward them and the things that I was thinking toward them so he wouldn't be upset with me. And in retrospect, that was the formulation going on in my mind. I wasn't really looking for an answer and I wasn't really concerned with the idiocy or the safety or the foolish. I was only concerned with justifying my thought process. And that was not a good one because I was thinking of them and the Holy Spirit changed that in me. I pray for them because I tell you this truthfully and I see it every day and almost all day long at my job. There is so little concern for anyone else in anything being done it's all about self-agenda and everything that 
individuals have in their plans. And if somebody else is in the immediate area, they're in the way. And this is how I see everyone act. And this is contrary to what the scripture teaches. The Bible tells us that we are supposed to serve others. And how is it serving anyone else if you are so concerned with your agenda and what you're doing and you care nothing about anybody? I mean, traffic-wise, pedestrian, it doesn't matter what you're doing. You're supposed to serve others. Jesus came to serve, not to be served. He is the only begotten Son of God, the absolute Prince of Heaven, the Commander of the hosts of Heaven, the Captain of the hosts of Heaven. He controls all of that. And the world is His. I mean, He is our Counselor, our Prince of Peace. He is our Lord and Savior, the Lion of the tribe of Judah, the conquering king, when he comes back, it will be in that guise. He is hollow. Brothers and sisters, we just need to pay attention. One of the things that we have an issue with is we tend to get so caught up in everything that we're doing in this world that that we got to go, we got to go, we got to go, we got to go, got to get it done, get it done, get it done, get it done. The agenda is full. I can't, I have no time. I have no time. I have no time. That's unfortunate because the Bible tells us to make time for God. Take time for God. Here's the thing that we get wrong so many times. We actually have a resource that is available to us that we we, in reality, in reality, hear what I'm saying, and I'll say it again. Reality is that we have so much of it, but we convince ourselves that we have so little of it and not enough of it. And we can't possibly give any of it away, and we can't share it with anyone else. And that's time. We have time. We feel so confined by time. We feel it, it's such a contrary argument. It's, it's, it's so silly because I hear people say, man, I have so much time. I have no idea what to do with it. Man, I don't have enough time. I have no, I don't have enough time in the day. Sweetheart, I'm sorry, I just don't have time. I can't get to the recital. I can't get to the soccer game. I can't get to the, can't get, can't get, can't get, can't get. I got to do this. I got to get this done at work. I have to get this done. This has got to be done before next Friday. Well, darling, it's Monday. You don't seem to think you can get it done in four more days. I don't have time. You don't understand. I don't have time. The boss is breathing down my neck. I don't have time. I don't have time. I don't have time. And then, of course, on the other hand, there's women that do the same thing, too. I just don't have time. I just don't have time. I just don't have time. I can't get to the recital. I can't get to the soccer practice. I don't have time. The boss this, the boss that. And then there is the turnaround. The onus always goes on someone else. Always put the onus on someone else. It's somebody else's fault that you're behind. It's somebody else's fault that they're breathing down your neck to get you to complete a task that you, in reality, have plenty of time for, 
but because of the way that they're making it and your perception of what they're saying is that they're taking time away from you and that you don't have time and you can't get everything done. Well, when God talks about taking time to spend with him, you have to get your mindset around the fact that you're taking time with your heavenly father and that it is okay to do that and that you don't start making yourself feel guilty. Here's the thing important. I've shared this with you before. You can only be embarrassed by a situation if you allow yourself to be embarrassed. You can only have that feeling of guilt if you allow that feeling of guilt. You cannot blame anyone else. You cannot blame the enemy or his minions for robbing your joy or your happiness or your peace. And I have heard this by label heads so many times that the onus goes on somebody else. However, the reality is that you hold on to it and then you find it gone, it's because you let go and then you try to say, well, they came in and and they took it from me. No, they didn't. You let it go. You gave it to them. And of course, that is technically a robbery because it was yours and then you open your hands and it was taken and you think that the minions are not going to grab it and make a run for it? Well, of course they are. Of course they are because they work for the devil and the devil's goal for them is that they see you miserable. They see you separated from God. They see you in sadness and despair, in degradation. And what does God tell you? Be not afraid nor dismayed Be of strong and good courage because I, thy Lord, thy God, am with you whithersoever thou goest. And we're going to revisit that one too because what does that entail? That entails that God is with us wherever we're at. And I'm I'm not talking and neither is God. He's not talking about point A to point B. If you're going from Damascus to Jerusalem, Jerusalem to Jericho, dangerous roadway, by the way. He's not talking about that. He is talking about, as David describes it, to the heights, to the depths. And David is not talking necessarily about physical places either. He's talking about when you go to the height of the mountain, how you feel elated, joyful, happy, And when you go down in the valleys and it's dark, you're feeling sad, you're feeling forlorn, you've just lost a a dear family person, family member, and it makes you feel... I remember how I was feeling when I thought that I was going to lose my my baby girl, my uh, emotional support dog. She was just... uh, I wasn't sure what was going on. They've been with me a very long time. A very long time. I have issues that I didn't share with others before, and I'm learning to open up about them now, my PTSD issues. And um, God brought me these two guys. They're looking at me right now. I'm sitting at my desk reading, and they're just watching me. (laughs) And she knows what I'm talking about her. But I, I prayed over her. 
because I wasn't sure what was going on. But I also made sure, and I have to do, we all have to do this, that, that she is not being idolized or an import to her. I, I said, God, I, I know that if it, it comes time that they're not going to be with me always and that you brought us together and that if she needs to go, I know that I'm going to see her again. Because see, here's the thing that a lot of people think that that's not going to happen. God says that he will make all things new. Just like when, he, when the Bible says, for God so loved the world. That doesn't mean white, yellow, black, red. doesn't give priority to anybody. <clears throat> when God says he will make all things new, he doesn't say, that does not interpret that I'm going to make all my children new. He says, I will make all things new. My interpretation is that, and the scriptures also talk about animals that are in a special position for families, us, and that would mean to me the way the scripture is about our pets, those things that we care about. They become more like a family member. At any rate, it's a mindset, brothers and sisters, our mindset with our time frames, with our time that, that we think is so precious and we don't have enough of it. When in reality, we actually do, but we don't want to share it with others. It's a resource that we have plenty of, <clears throat> holds great value, and we don't want to give it up. But yet, the more we hoard it, the more we're inclined to believe that we just don't have enough. And that's unfortunate because our children, our grandchildren, our spouses, our family members, friends, neighbors, brothers and sisters within the, the church body, we don't give them time. And there's folks that even within the church body that are working for the church that are agitated seemingly all the time because they don't seem to have enough time. Well, the, pa the pastor needs this, and we got to get that. We got to get this. We got to get that. <coughs> pardon me. <clears throat> and the conversation, <coughs> pardon me, goodness gracious, seems to always turn about not having enough time. And when you look on their face and you listen to the conversations, oh my goodness gracious, are you really talking about working for the church? Because they're griping and agitated about not having enough time to get anything accomplished. And they're behind the eight ball. Well, goodness gracious, really? Pray about it, talk to Father God and things happen. You'd be surprised when you talk to God. Maybe you won't be. I tend to have the belief that he's always ready to do something for us. And when we ask and it happens, it might be an instantaneous surprise, but don't be so surprised. That's our God. That's our good, good father, our heavenly father. And when we take time to spend with him, it provides us more of a center. And you're balanced. And when you're in 
the center of this and you're constantly spinning and looking around at all sides and all these things are going on and you're taking pretty soon you're going it's almost as if you're you become a whirling dervish <laughs> and if you don't know what that is that's a turkish dance and they get the spinning pretty fast and you wonder that they're not dizzy and either drill a hole in the ground or or just completely pass out but it's a spinning dance. Well, you get the spinning so much, you get dizzy and you feel off balance and then you can't keep up and you're like, man, there's so much going on. Well, take time, sit down, relax, spend time with God, read his word and give and devote some time to God. You will start to feel a balance. And here's what, the thoughts center more and more on God and on trusting God, having faith in God. And that trust displaces the fear and worries that come seem to be coming from all directions, except that you're making them come from all directions. Much of that turmoil and tumultuous events are coming from our own mindset. This is true. And a prime example of that is King David. The man always went back to God, though, always returned to God. And God called David a man after my own heart. He didn't say, David, the perfect king, is a man after my own heart. God never said that about David. David was not perfect. He was a fine example of a king and a strong king, a devoted king and a godly man. He wasn't perfect. So people are going to say, yeah, well, what about this? And what about that? And what about this? And what about that? Yeah, what about it? There will be those who will seek to be offended no matter what is said. You may hand them a dish on a golden platter and serve them on precious metal utensils, and they will find something to be offended by. They that seek offense shall surely find offense. It is there to be found, so why look for it? Instead, look for that precious thing, that precious gift that God gives all of us and gives us the opportunity to share and tells us to do that all the time. Paul writes about it. We'll get to that point. So if you put your trust and faith in God and we allow our mindset to be focused on him and the writer in, in my readings was talking about that our mind is like a seesaw up and down by all the stuff that goes on. But if we allow our trust in God and the leading of the Holy Spirit to influence our mindset more and more. And that goes up. Then the worry and all that other stuff on the other end of the seesaw is going to go down. We're lifted up by the guidance and the truth and the love that we experience in the time that we spend with God. It also shows us 
and the leading will let us know what's more important. But let me ask you this way. Is it more important that you spend time with your spouse and your children or more important to get that project done? And then, of course, you're going to have those, well, I got to get that done because if we don't, then we can't get the bills paid and we can't get this done, we can't get that done. And then they start finding more and more stuff to pile up on the opposite end of the seesaw. And then pretty soon what happens? All that good feeling and all that stuff they have dissipates and disappears and the trust and the ha- that and all that. And I've heard label heads will say, oh, I got robbed of my joy. No, you didn't get robbed of your joy. You gave it up. You gave it up. Quit saying that somebody robbed you of that stuff. If you let them take it and you just let it go, you weren't robbed. You just let it go. You tossed it out the window. Of course, somebody's going to come and pick it up. The minions are going to carry it away. Of course they are. They don't want you to have it back. Of course, they're going to pick it up and carry it away. What do you think? They work for the enemy for no reason that they just wander around? No, they're looking to see who they can agitate and take things away from. So don't give them anything. It's important that we spend the time in the word. Following the word, being in the word. And the scripture says that to allow it to be a lamp to our footfalls, our steps, our feet. (coughs) Pardon me. And that are being accompanied by the Holy Spirit on that path, on the path of righteousness, which is not an easy path. I, I, the scriptures talk about this. They talk about the two different gates. And when you go through the wide gate, which is wide open and very broad, and the road is, is straight, there's no, it's so smooth. And it's crowded That's the road of perdition, separation, degradation. You go down, there's a lot of people take that because it's wide and easy. You head on down that road and pretty much just doing whatever you want. But the road to salvation and truth is narrow. There are bumps and curves and those are the notions of the enemy and his trying to knock you off the path. It's dimly lit, except that you can see that there's individuals, if you look down that path ahead of you, you see some individuals that have a bright circle of light around them and they seem to be more in the center of that path. Why is that? Because the word and truth is a light unto their feet and their presence accompaniment by the Holy Spirit and the Lord God Almighty and Jesus, who has promised never to leave nor forsake, is with them. And they're walking center. And they have brightness around them so that they can see and they're able to stay on the path. But here's the thing too. It isn't like that all the way for the rest of the walk. I'm I'm telling you it's not. 
And the word tells us it's not. Why? Because the closer we stay with God and the closer we become, the harder the devil tries to knock us off that path. And he will send his minions countless times and he will increase his endeavors. And that doesn't make for a great thought process and that's what he desires. Why? Because our minds are the weakest point of attack and he knows that. Trust me in this when I tell you. I spent time in the military and it's no different. No different. The mindset of individuals when we go to a combat theater and have been is to talk themselves into things that are not real and talk themselves into something that possibly is reality, but they have talked themselves into the negative aspects so much that they become fearful and then their actions and reactions are fearfully driven and they will do something that they shouldn't do. And unfortunately, in those respects, it either gets someone else killed, it gets themselves killed, or it gets a combination of the two. And sometimes more than one or two. Why? Because they were fearfully driven, which is the same thing that Satan tries to do with us, to get us to be fearful. God doesn't mind if we're afraid as long as we bring that to him and we pray through it with him and allow the Holy Spirit to guide the steps. Doesn't mind us being afraid. He doesn't want us to be fearful. And I've shared this with you before. If you're fearful, then you allow your actions and reactions to be driven by that very thing that you don't want to be. Think about it. You don't want to be fearful, but yet you're allowing your actions and reactions to be be driven by fear. That is fearful. Being afraid, you say, Father, I'm afraid of this, but with your mighty right hand holding on to me and my following the Holy Spirit, guidance of the steps, we will get through this storm. Your intention, your strength, your holiness, your sovereignty, Father, thank you for being with me. Thank you for walking with me and keep on trucking. But so many people don't. And then they want to hunker down, get in this little squatty position in the middle of the road, pull their collar up and sit there and start whining and crying about, I can't go on, I can't go on, I can't do it anymore. Father, God, it's just, I'm too afraid, I can't go, I can't go. And God keeps saying, come on. And he keeps, you know, (laughs) like my earthly father used to, his hand wasn't quite cut, but he'd just be sort of gesturing with his fingers for me to come and take his hand. Or as I was on the side of the swimming pool, and as I shared with that, I didn't know he couldn't swim. I had no idea. He told me to jump. I jumped. He never let me go. He never disappointed. He never, I never lost faith. And every time he told me to jump, I'd jump. I didn't know he couldn't swim. I had to teach him how to swim later once I got my certificates and all that stuff from the military. I taught my own earthly father to swim. But I trusted him because he never let me down. Your heavenly father will not let you down. He does not let you down. He promises never to leave or forsake. And remember, I shared with you, there's a difference. When somebody leaves you, you're walking together and, you know, they're just, uh, then all of a sudden you turn and look around and they walked into a storefront or they walked into a store that was advertising something that you've been looking for for a while. And then they disappeared. And when you look around, you, you find them in that store. 
man, what'd you go? Where'd, what'd you do? Well, I'm in here because I saw this. I've been looking for it. Well, and you just left. I didn't know where you went. Yeah. <clears throat> okay, well, that's leaving. But then walking you into the middle of something where they know it's a dangerous and you shouldn't be, that they walk you in there, and then all of a sudden you're surrounded by turmoil and difficulties and things that are coming in at you, and then they walk away from you and just totally go down another street and away, and you're left there all by yourself. That's forsaken. God will never leave nor forsake. And he promises that. And here's the thing, too, that we're, we're shared this word from Romans verse 12. And it reminds us, this is, uh, you know, this a couple chapters after Romans 8, which is our adoption letter and the continuing reinforcement to all that following up in Romans 12. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. Shared this with you before that the mindset is a very important thing. And Satan knows, as do his minions, that our mind is the weakest point of attack and to keep going at it, at it, at it, at it, at it, at it as often as it takes to stay at the mind attack. The helmet of salvation is an important thing. Helmets, whenever you go into a combat situation, wherever you go in, it's important that you put that on. It's not 100% guaranteed protection because it's not bulletproof, but it's protection. However, the helmet of salvation is exactly all that those that we take into our earthly combat are not. That helmet of salvation is impervious to all things that come. Your faith and belief that Jesus Christ came to this earth to save you, to redeem you, to give you the hope of salvation and being adopted into the heavenly family and becoming an heir and a joint heir with him in the kingdom of heaven. It is impervious to all those things if you hold on to the salvation which is in your mindset. And there are numerous scriptures that talk about mindset, the renewing of the mind. And just like this, Romans 12, by the renewing of your mind that you may prove what is a good and acceptable and perfect will of God. To stay in the scriptures, to study to show yourself approved of the Lord God Almighty. Be of one mind and one body. Paul writes about this to the churches, and he reminds several of the different churches to be of that ilk. Be of a like mind. Your one body, be of one mind. And here's the other thing David shares, and this is in 52.8. I love this. But I am like an olive tree flourishing in the house of God. I trust in God's unfailing love forever and ever. I want to dissect this scripture for a minute. 
because this scripture actually says a lot more than what it says. Let's take a look at the olive tree and the oil. Okay, so there have been vials of olive oil that have been found that are multi-thousands of years old. So olive oil has been being saved and used for many different things for a long, long time. And when they opened it, they found that the oil was still good, that the oil still had savor, that it still had taste, that it was still, it had not spoiled. The Greeks, for a long, long, long time, had been using oil, olive oil on their skin all the time. They found that it was medicinal. They found that it was soothing. They found that it was protective. Olive oil has been found by nutritionists of late. And I say of late because it's being more publicized than ever before. But it's been known. Olive oil is really, really good. It's been used in so many different places for cooking for such a long time. <clears throat> but this particular scripture, for I am like an olive tree flourishing in the house of God. If you're in the word of God in his house, your words, and this is also in other areas of the Bible that you have to be guarded because the tongue is like a two-edged sword, but also your words are medicinal, can be. And if you are as an olive tree flourishing in the word of God and his truth and his knowledge, his wisdom, and not taking that on to be of your own, then you are like that olive oil. You are like that olive tree. You are medicinal. You can be protective. You can be a savor to the word of God. You can do many things and you will be just like the olive and the olive oil that is that is good it is a good thing and we can be that same thing but I am like an olive tree flourishing in the house of God I trust in God's unfailing love forever and ever Psalm 52 8 and here's a here's another really good word and this is in Ephesians 5, 15. I mean, actually, Ephesians 5 is really very important. I'm going to start with the first verse and read down a little bit. Be therefore followers of God as dear children and walk in his love as Christ who hath loved us and hath given himself for us an offering and a sacrifice to God for a sweet-smelling savor. But fornications and all uncleanliness or covetousness, let it not be once named among you as become saints, neither filthiness nor foolish talking nor jesting which are not convenient, but rather giving of thanks. For this ye know that no whoremonger 
nor unclean person, nor covetous man who is an idolater, have any inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and of God. Let no man deceive you with vain words, for because of these things cometh the wrath of God upon the children of disobedience. Be not ye therefore partakers with them, for ye were sometimes darkness, and now ye light in the Lord. Walk as children of light, for the fruit of the Spirit is in all goodness and righteousness and truth, providing what is acceptable unto the Lord. And have no fellowship with the unfruitful works of darkness, but rather reprove them. For it is a shame even to speak of those things which are done of them in secret. But all things that are reproved are made manifest by the light, for whatsoever doth make manifest is light. Wherefore he saith, Awake thou that sleepeth, and arise from the dead, and Christ shall give thee light. See them that ye walk circumspectly, not as fools, but as wise. And this next one is important for what we were speaking of earlier. Redeeming the time because the days are evil. Wherefore be not unwise, but understanding what the will of the Lord is. <coughs> Pardon me. And be not drunk with wine, wherein is excess, but be filled with the Spirit, speaking to yourselves in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melodies in your heart to the Lord, giving thanks always for all things unto God and the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. What's Paul talking about? What Paul is talking about. First of all, let's take a look at something. The word circumspect comes from circumspectus, which is a Latin word. And what it means is, quite literally, look around. What the Bible's telling us and what Paul's talking about is to be cautious, be discreet, keep your eyes open. And be looking around at what is going on. When he talks here in Ephesians, he's talking about following God and being like his children, that we walk in his love and we have to share that thing, that love that he gave to us. And we have to be cautious of all these things around us because it's there, it's real. And there are going to be those that are going to try to take us off our walk. I've shared that with you, that... Our closer our walk, the harder Satan's going to push his minions to try to get us off of that. And what he's talking about is he's not telling you not to be jovial and you can't, and he's saying not to, to be joking. But what we have to talk about is that we have to not be foolish and our jesting cannot be that that degrades others and we have to be cautious in what we speak of there's nothing wrong 
There are many Christians that joke around. Jesus had a sense of humor. Read some of the stuff he has written about him. Jesus had a sense of humor. God has a sense of humor. Yes, he does. In reality, he does. Okay, let me, let me prove my point. Um, have any of you seen or read about the duckbill platypus? It's a creature God made. Take a look at that. I'm kind of inclined to think that it's a it's actually a beautiful creature in so many things. It's a mystery of, of God, actually, and it's quite befuddling, really. It's a mammal, yet it lays an egg like a chicken. It looks like an otter, um, but its tail's flat like a beaver, and it has a duckbill. It doesn't have a snout with teeth. Kind of funny to look at when you see it, really. You'd think that somebody was playing some kind of game. And some of you don't don't look for to be offended by stuff like that. This is this is God's humor, and God has a sense of humor. I believe He does. Jesus spoke not only in parables, but He spoke in jest many times with the disciples and other people around. He was a person. People have senses of humor. For the most part, there are some actually I've been told when I was joking with some others and they had overheard, they said that, hey, what was that? I said, that was a joke. And the other people got it, but this person who was not involved with the discussion or in the group came from a side stage and entered in and then decided it was going to be offended. And it wasn't even an offensive statement. They just didn't have a good day that day or good morning and I took it as that but it was actually everybody else thought it was hilarious so there are those that don't have that but the thing of it is that we have to be cautious and and that lesson is you still have to be cautious even with those that are not directly there that you have to make sure that it's not a hurtful thing And what he's talking about, nor chesting, which are not convenient. So you have to be considerate of everything that we speak. We have to be that. And when it talks about, see that you walk circumspectly, not as fools, but as wise, redeeming the time, because the days are evil. You have to be aware of things that are going on around you, circumspectly. That's what that means, circumspectus, Latin, look around. Look around you. Be aware of what's going on around you. Do not walk foolishly. I share this with you that I've seen many times that pedestrians will just be walking with their uh, with a phone in their hand. They're not looking at the traffic and they're just, they walk right out into the street. Traffic is going. The traffic has the right of way. That person walking did not have the right of way. But they step off the curb because why? Their face is stuck down in this gizmo Instead of be, you don't drive while you text. You don't drive and talk on a phone because it distracts you away from what you should be doing. Well, pedestrians, I have seen examples of that very thing. I have watched people walk into trees, walk into signposts, walk into lampposts, and walk into the corner of buildings because they are so intent on this gizmo that's that you can hold in your hand, and they walk right into things. They've walked into other people. I find that 
so confusing because peripheral vision on most people is really good, but they're so intent on this gizmo that the periphery is just destroyed. Be aware, not only in reality here with when you do things like that, but you have to be aware of what's going on around you <clears throat> and allow the Spirit to guide your steps. The truth, the way. We have to be dealing with that. We have to be sharing that. We have to be aware of that thing, which is the truth. And that is what we're to share. That and the love of God, which is in us, that we share with everyone else. Brothers and sisters, you are in my prayers, going out, coming in every day. I tell you that same thing. I pray every day, every morning and at night when I go to bed. And scriptures are the last thing before I go to sleep. And this, when I, I'm in prayer when I get up, and the word of God is necessary to share. And now I have to prepare to go to work. But God is with me. <clears throat> the devil doesn't want me to remember that, and he wants me to take, he wants to take all that away. But you have to be in mindset. And remember what Jesus said when he told the lawyer, the Sanhedrin lawyer, the first rule, to love thy Lord thy God with all thy heart, with all thy soul, and with all thy mind. The mindset has to be there. Set your mind, lock out all that other stuff, or be prepared to do, and this is part of that spiritual battle thing that is talked about in the Bible. Might not be a physical battle, and it could come to that. Don't dispel that either. The Holy Spirit will allow you to know what is. But these things that happen around us, the spiritual warfare is for your very soul to take and keep your soul away from God, your loved ones in heaven, and to return your body into the dust once it came and then take your soul to hell. That is the goal of the enemy and the minions to let you not take part in that thing that God gave us freely. Don't take it for granted. Don't think that you got that coming because of all the good stuff you do. Your salvation is not because of your good works. Your good works should be because of your salvation. There's a difference in that. Look around. Be aware. Stay true. Stay in truth. You're in my prayers going out and coming in all the time, every day.